Hello everyone, this is Jerry with Red Desert Roleplay, and I just want to stop and tell you about Tale of the Manticore. Um, it's an excellent podcast. John tells a story where he plays a campaign, rolling the dice for every player character, and telling us the story that those dice tell. If you're looking for a darker story where death is always around the corner and you perhaps like to have tears jerked out of your face, I highly recommend Tale of the Manticore. You should go check it out anywhere that you find fine podcasts. Yeah, definitely go give it a listen. There's like 80 episodes up with bonus material. I've listened to all of them. Can't wait for more. All right. Thank you for listening. On to the show. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Dear Diary, Today we began learning about the Wingless Rebellion. Apparently, our nation forced its rules and customs onto the refugee land dwellers, and they called that oppression. There are some in my class that call the endeavor foolish. They believe that the Ari are actually superior to others. But if that's truly the case, why are they so quick to separate themselves from their own kind? Some of them go so far as to tell me that I do not belong here and that my family is a disgrace. And I also see how they silently disregard Julianus at social events. And it breaks my heart. If this is what started the rebellion, then I want to be a rebel too. I will fight the customs of the Strigid to make peace and freedom possible for me, my family, and anyone else who has ever felt oppressed, taken advantage of, or left out. Just wait. Someday, I'll get away from this place and do something great for everyone on the islands. But that's enough musings for today. Adine is going to be here soon, and we'll likely want to practice sparring. Maybe we can pretend to be rebels and fight to save everyone together. After all, a proper hero does know when and how to use a weapon, right? Hello, armchair adventurers, and welcome to Red Desert Roleplay, an actual play podcast where friends from across Wyoming collaborate on an epic interactive story. And hey, if you're a parent of a child under 16, I have a little bit of a disclaimer for you. Please use discretion when listening to our show, as it is intended for adults and older teens. Now, let's go ahead and introduce our players and their characters. First up, we have Jerry Evans. Hi, I'm Jerry Evans, and I play the character of Wilhelm. He is the only human in the group, and he tries to be a non-violent problem solver. And he's 
almost the only person in the group who approaches things that way. So let's see what happens. <laughs> Do you have any uh, short-term or long-term goals for Wilhelm? Um, Wilhelm is just trying to get back in the saddle, but not in the dating sense. He's just trying to get back on the open skies to uh, bring people together. And he has to overcome some crippling anxiety to do that nowadays. Okay. All right. And next up we have Jessica Evans. Hi, I'm Jess, and I play the character Fausta. She is an R.I. from the ruling class. Uh, Fausta is intelligent, she's motivated, and she is fairly naive. Um, I have a few goals for Fausta for this adventure. So um, her long-term, she's got a couple big long-term goals just because she is, um, she's a very ambitious person. Um, one is to improve her medical knowledge so that she can find a way to help the Aurai regain their lost ability to fly. The other one is, of course, to figure out where the fog is coming from and how to get the fog to go away, um, just so that we can gain more land and more peoples who were displaced when the fog took over um can have access to their original homelands and then short-term goal because fausta is kind of new to being a leader and has this group of people that she doesn't really know but that she has to all of a sudden lead she is going to try to get to know them better and figure out exactly what roles they're going to play and set some boundaries with these people who she's supposed to lead on this mission Awesome. Hey, um, Jess, tell us, so the Aurai are, uh, they're an owl-like people. Um, and we talked about this in a session outside of episode, uh, but I want to make sure we get it into an actual episode recording. Uh, mm -hmm. What type of owl does Fausta look like? So Fausta looks like a barn owl. Um, she's She's got that longer face. She's got those really big eyes. Um, kind of creepy looking, but she's really... I think she's very pretty. Yes, barn owls have that, uh, they have this lovely, like, snowy white face. They've got this facial disc that uh, makes their hearing, like, one of, if not the best uh, hearing in the animal kingdom, which is pretty cool. Next up, we have Jeremy Gomez. Hello, everybody. Glad to be back. Um, I am playing a character named Chip. Chip is a forest or uh, lumber harvester. Um, he is a clipper. He's actually seen a lot of things and traveled the world. So uh, really cool character. He's a lot of fun to play. Um, he's very young, uh, naive. And he hasn't been exposed to a lot of the, of the, the things going on in the world. Now, he also hates wind because wind, whenever there is wind, there is uh, always something scary on the horizon. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun to play. That's awesome. Hey, um, 
Jeremy, remind me. So the Hadral, um, they're a crystalline uh, race, and uh, some of them are translucent, and some of them are, are opaque. I know Chip is more of the translucent variety, um, so his body does allow some light through. But remind me, what color is Chip? So I think Chip has a slight blue hue to his skin. Um, it's translucent, but uh, he does have a blue hue. And is, um, is his hair the same color, or is his hair um, manifest as a different color of crystal? So it's, a, it's slightly darker, um, you know, but they're, they're, because it's crystalline in structure, it's, his hair is very short because it gets brittle as it grows. Uh, his hair can get fairly long, but it's, he keeps it pretty short. All right. And last but most certainly not least, we have our player, Donald Probst. Hi, I'm Don, and my character's name is Tulin. He's a, a kind of a reddish-orange humanoid reptilian. Uh, he was raised by dwarves due to a misfortune in childhood. Uh, his parents are alive, but they are in a sort of hibernation, uh, torpor kind of state. So he hasn't been able to really interact with them throughout his life. Um, he is, uh, kind of a tinkerer. Uh, his race, the Grawl, are, uh, somewhat resistant to fire. So he kind of naturally fit in with the dwarves. And since he does not have to use the heavy fireproof clothing, he is able to do things that no one else can do on a forge in terms of, of scale and making things small and, and tidy. His short-term goal uh, is just to kind of go out, see the world, because he hasn't seen much of anything. He's just heard about it from the stories of various skyship crews that have returned to, uh, to Cloud Home. And his long-term goals is, uh, he's a bit of a philosopher, among other things. And he's a little concerned that all of the population is crowded onto these floating islands. And sooner or later, they will run out of resources. So he is, he is looking for ways to either penetrate the fog or neutralize the fog or in some way make the surface of the planet once again, if not habitable, uh, excursionable so that people can go down and mine or collect lumber or grow food or, or the like. All right. I always love hearing the introductions because we have some pretty cool characters in our party here. So, you may remember uh, when we left off last time, you guys had just secured a ship. Uh, you had won the auction being held by the Twilight Elf pirate captain Solare uh, by giving him the best story, proving that you had true fire in the belly and were going to make his ship have more cool stories going forward and improve its legacy. Uh, so you are now the proud owners of the Scarlet Keelan, a uh, somewhat renowned pirate ship in the skies of Verilan. And um, as you were 
preparing to take on supplies and so forth. Uh, there were a couple repairs that needed done to the rails. And so you guys were going to go uh, get those things done and then set sail in the morning. So I want to take a moment, um, say it's the next morning here, and uh, it is the morning that you guys are going to set off. So paint me a picture of what are you guys doing on this morning? Are, are you excited? Are you nervous? What is... I'm repeating myself here, but <laughs> what are each of your characters um, doing on their last moments here in the city of South Talonis before we head out? Let's start with, um, let's actually start with uh, Fausta. Okay. Um, so Fausta, I imagine, is finishing up preparations she is probably telling Wagner like hey make sure that we didn't forget to pack this will you please check and make sure that you know all of all of the books are secure um making or having Wagner kind of do the grunt work of ensuring that this trip is going to go smoothly um for me I would very much I think Fausta is going to say goodbye to the family that she has in Talonis. Um, there were some loose ends tied up, or not tied up, but haven't been tied up yet that Fausta's been trying to get get a hold of. Um, she's very curious why how Wilhelm and her brother Julianus know each other, so I think she would very much like to say goodbye to him for one and also have that conversation. Okay. Did you do... Um... So on that note, what is Wilhelm doing on this morning? Um, I guess Wilhelm has um, two things on his plate to take care of. He's got to go round up the Hearthfleet folks that will be joining him. And also, he needs to make a stop at his local apothecaries in order to pick up the medications that he takes... Um, because he deals with a lot of uh, anxiety, and things got even worse after the last expedition he was on, which has been you know years ago at this point, um, where he and I think one other person survived an event that they can't quite explain. Um, so <clears throat> deeply traumatized, and... Yeah, so he's going to pick up some medications to make sure that if the stress, you know, gets put on them while they're on expedition, that he at least has part of his problem managed. Otherwise, he struggles with making the right decisions under pressure. So, yeah. Definitely two important things for him to be doing. Indeed. Do what about Tulin? What's Tulin doing this morning? So Tulin was up much of the night uh, doodling, and uh, he is going to swing by Chip's ship this morning uh, on his way to the Scarlet Keelan to uh, drop off some some sketches and some ideas for some potential upgrades that, that may make things a little bit safer for them, make the ship a bit more sturdy. Uh, and then he is going to head to the Scarlet Keelan to see if it even remotely lives up to the hype that uh, Captain Solare 
gave it the night before. Uh, and he's just kind of, he's just kind of one of those, I think I can make this better types. So he is, uh, he's giving the ship the once over and his, his gears are already turning about how he can improve its offensive and defensive capabilities. All right. And what about Chip? So Chip, uh, did run back to his, uh, his family ship, you know, to see if he couldn't help out at all with it. And he was really excited to, to share the news and let him know that um, he did have a ship and he was going to uh, try to get to the bottom of this and try to help them out and maybe um, get them some money. So now he's got a means and he's really excited about this new vessel. All right, so I think we are going to dive in with Wilhelm here. And I think we can go ahead and say that Wilhelm's just gotten his medications, unless you'd rather play that out. But I think we can go ahead and just say that Wilhelm's taking care of that. Yeah. And um, you are meeting up with the crew of Havarg from the Hearthfleet, um, who are... Really excited. They're all, you know, young kids, basically. They're young adults. And they, this is going to be their first time away from the nest as it is. They're on their third mate's pilgrimage, which is a Hearthfleet tradition where young members uh, go away for a year and they experience the wider world outside of the Hearthfleet. And the first one you meet, uh, his name is Malin. Now, I am going to make one one correction from an earlier episode here. When we initially introduced the Havarg in the first episode, um, I did accidentally say that they tend to stand 8 to 10 feet tall. Um, I, I misspoke there. They stand 6 to 8 feet tall. They are still pretty big, but they're not, uh, not the 8 to 10 feet. Um, but Malin, he is, he is a bit short for a Havarg. He only stands about 5 foot 10. Um, he's dark green skinned and he, um, he's definitely sort of the ringleader of the, uh, Havarg pilgrims here. And he walks up to you, Wilhelm, he puts his hand out and he says, I believe this is the proper greeting on the islands, isn't it? And, uh, Wilhelm reaches out and, uh, takes his hand and gives him a good old handshake. And says, yeah, that'll do nicely. Nice to meet you. I'm Wilhelm. Oh, thank you so much for finding us a berth, Wilhelm. We, uh, we're really excited about this. And, I mean, to think that our, our first berth is going to be exploring the fathomless heaven of all things. I mean, oh, how lucky can a group of pilgrims get? Well, we'll see just how uh, lucky any of us get. We still have to figure out how to actually get to it. Uh, of course, we've got a ship, but as far as I know, it's under uh, quite a lot of security. I may have us an inn, but regardless, uh, it's my first time back out on the open skies in quite some time. So I share your excitement, if not a little more apprehensively. Ah, uh, well, I should introduce you to, this is my second, uh, her name is Varela, and, uh, Varela is more of a average-sized height for a Havarg, she stands about seven feet, 
And uh, she kind of gives you a slight bow. She says, um, the others will be along shortly. Uh, is there is there anything that you need us to do in terms of onboarding supplies, or, or do you just want us to start getting the ship ready this morning? Well, outside of uh, the character of Wilhelm, have we worked out supplies? Um, I suppose, yeah, we do need to go, like, pick up supplies. I suppose that's something either either Wilhelm or Chip would have experience with. Um, I don't know how much experience Wilhelm had actually, you know, making sure there were enough supplies on a ship. He was usually a supply on a ship in a way. I think Wilhelm would defer to Chip on that because Chip actually, you know, runs a ship. So, um, yeah. Okay. So Wilhelm, uh, tells, uh, what's, what's his second's name again? Varela. Uh, he tells Varela, you know, I am not, uh, the logistics guy on this trip. Uh, for that, we'll talk to Chip when we get back to our ship. So, uh, I imagine we'll have some supplies to pick up. Yes. Excellent. Well, we'll uh, get on our way over there. Please let us know if there's anything else you need. I will do that. Thank you. So they, uh, you can tell they're just bursting with energy and they go running off to go get their stuff. <laughs> Head over to the Scarlet Keelan. And let's jump over to, let's jump over to Fausta next. Um, so you were going to go visit Julianus and say your goodbyes to him this morning. Yes. So paint me a picture of how you're going to approach this conversation. Is it, is it a sad thing that you're not going to see him for a while? Is it just like, oh, later, bro. <laughs> um, I think it's bittersweet. I think Fausta's very excited to get going on her way. So there's a lot of just exuberance and, you know, nerves. Um, I imagine she's looking toward to Julianus for, you know, some support, some excitement. I think there's also a sweet part of this where she's um, dearly going to miss him because as far as her history with him goes, they've been together for a long time and he's like one of her favorite siblings, the probably the favorite sibling. Um, and I think it's scary for her, the idea that she's not going to have access to him in the same way that she's used to, that he's not just a walk, um, you know, away from, from where she is. All right. So I think, um, Julianus notices some of this. He says, sister, I... I can't tell if you're the cat that ate the canary or uh, feeling down in the dumps. I can't either. I've, truly honest, I've never done anything like this before. And now all of a sudden I have to lead a crew and I'm flying on a ship to finally go do something with my life. And I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, we all hit that stage in our lives, sis. I have to say, when it comes, best thing to do is to just 
tackle what comes head on. One of the problems that I made when I was your age and first getting out into the world was I, I tried to think through everything. I tried to have every possibility for things I wanted to do and things that could go wrong and everything planned out. And I ended up doing a lot less than I wanted to because of it. And I don't want to see the same thing happen to you. So promise me you'll listen to your gut sometimes. <laughs> Only sometimes though, huh? <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. Oh, you'll figure it out. And if you don't, you know right where I am. Speaking of, um, Julianus, how do you know Wilhelm? Well, he helped secure me my shop here when I made the move to Talonis. Right. Um, brother, why exactly did you move here to Talonis? Oh... When you and the other triplets were born and we were raised to the Strigicasts, I just felt a bit out of place after that. I uh, never felt quite right in the courts and trappings of nobility, and I just decided I wanted to reclaim a bit of my old life. So, out of character question, Aaron. Um, I imagine that the rest of the family is still on high, high perch, right? I think they probably don't. They probably live on one of the other islands in the Aurai Nation. I doubt that they're on High Perch itself. Um, but yeah, they would still be. Okay. So the next question that Fausto would have to that would be like, but why did you have to go so far away? Hmm. <clears throat> well, mother and father didn't want me to discuss that with you. But. You're almost graduated now. I I suppose you're uh, not a fledgling anymore. Hmm. Our, uh, our family developed some enemies among the Stridger cast thanks to some of my work. Uh, I was getting close to a breakthrough that a few of our rivals in court were very interested in. And in order to prevent me from being used against the family, mother and father had political asylum arranged for me here in Varathi. So these aren't just courtly enemies. Mm. To be honest, I've never been 100% sure what they want. But what I do know is I don't think it would be good if my discoveries got into their hands. Who are they? Well, I think it's better if you don't know that, Fausta. If you can feign ignorance, if you run into one of them, you'll be safer that way. Well, I can feign ignorance. With all due respect, sister, if there's one thing you've never been able to do, it's feign ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think Fausta's going to blink. Um, deadpan. Um, I'm not going to be able to get this one out of you, am I? Oh, you can try. But I don't think you'll get very far. Okay, I roll. Um, 
And I think she's just going to give him a hug and wish him well and head on down to the Scarlet Keelan. All right. To do do now. To do if I recall correctly, Tulin and Chip, you guys were both um basically headed back to the ship after um visiting Chip's ship there. So let's jump over to the two of you on the Scarlet Keelan. So um what do you guys think the first thing you're gonna do when you get there is? This isn't quite the legendary sip we were led to believe, but it appears to be solid. Ah, yes, Tulin, but it has spirit. It has a lot of spirit, and I think that the stories that came from the captain, he was eager to pass it off to such a fine group of individuals. It's a sip. It, I don't know how to break this to you, but it doesn't have any spirit. It's just dead wood and a large, uh, a large membrane at the top that fills with gases to give it buoyancy. There's, there's no spirit involved. Chip turns his head, tilts it kind of weird, kind of scratches it a little bit, and walks up and grabs right on to the wood on the railing. And he says, no. No, fill this, fill this. This is solid, solid mountain mahogany. It was put here, placed here years, years ago. This is a strong, solid rail. Yes, it, it certainly is. Um, hey, whatever makes you happy. I'm going to go below decks and, and see what... Uh, What's the engine room looks like and uh, what's kind of shape the power core is in. Chip is clearly disappointed. Um, he turns and he, you know, he feels bad. He's like, that boy, that lizard, all he likes is metal. And he gets very frustrated <laughs> and turns away and tries to look outside, outside the end of the vessel into the, the open docking area. So, um, Tulin, as you're heading down to the engine room, you pass by a very strange looking little room off to the side of the hallway. There's, there's this little room off there. It's kind of to the starboard bow of the ship. And it's odd because it has a ballista in it that's on a swivel mount, but there are no like windows or anything that you could actually fire the ballista from. And it's too small of a room to work on it for repairs. So there doesn't appear to be any rhyme or reason to why this ballista would be sitting in this room. Well, it would appear that the uh, captain was a little bit soft when he designed this, this room. Let me take a closer look at this ballista. Perhaps, perhaps it is some sort of remote for the ballista on the actual deck. So Tulin investigates and uh, looks to see if there are any mechanisms or pulleys or levers where if he moves this ballista in this tiny room, 
it could move something else elsewhere on the ship. So Tulin does notice uh, some mechanisms, but they don't appear to necessarily be connected to the ballista so much as they're connected to the walls of the rim. Well, this is interesting. And he also sees a conspicuously placed lever kind of in the corner, like, like you didn't notice it at first because you were focused on the ballista, but you kind of see this little lever as you're examining the mechanisms. Oh, this is fascinating. What did this lever do? And Tulin yanks it. <laughs> and so upon pulling the lever, uh, you hear some clanks and crunches and a brief kiss of steam and a portion of the wall like raises up into um, the other part of the hull and the whole room that Tulin is standing in with the ballista literally like ejects out from the hull of the ship so that the ballista is sticking out so it's basically like a retractable gun port <laughs> for this ballista that can uh, like a hidden port that can move in and out ah this is fascinating it seems a little overly complicated but I suppose that uh, this does make docking easier since you don't have to worry about knocking all of your gun ports off certainly needs to be lubricated hmm I still have to think about this and he pulls the lever again to, uh, assuming that it will retract back into the ship. And indeed it does. Well, he pats the ship, uh, says, you have your little secrets, don't you, my dear? And then he looks over his shoulder to make sure that Chip didn't see him talking <laughs> to the ship. And, uh, well, let's see what other kind of surprises await as, as I, uh, continue on to the engine room. So while Tulin is having that little adventure down there, Fausta and Wilhelm and the Havarg crew, um, they all sort of arrive at the Scarlet Keelan kind of around the same time. And uh, the Havarg are kind of looking at the ship and they're, ooh, you know, they're really admiring this um, piece of skyship technology here wow you know this is so cool and they've all got their little uh i almost said sea bags but they're not sea bags they're sky bags um, <laughs> thrown over their shoulders there and um they're just waiting for permission to come aboard basically hmm and you said that we're we've met them outside the ship right yeah you guys are kind of um on the on the pier at the gangplank where you would walk up to the top deck so I think Fausta might be waiting for, well, she doesn't really know what to do. So she's waiting for Vagnera to show up with um, all of the luggage. And I think that she's like, okay, well, this is, this is where you greet the crew, right? Is, and you said Wilhelm's there with her? Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, she reaches out to shake, shake Wilhelm's hand, you know, really nice to see you again. How's the morning going? Are, are we ready to, to take off? 
Well, I think we need to check with uh, Chip to see that we have the supplies we need before we leave port here. And I'm doing well. How about yourself? Fine, thanks. Um, we could check with Chip. Um, Vagnera usually takes care of the any sort of arrangements for travel. Is does he know the needs of a of manning and operating a skyship? Well, I told him he needed to get ready. Okay, we'll we'll see what um, getting ready means for uh, Vagnera when he shows up, and then we can determine what else we need to to go to get on the ship. But we should go talk to Chip. And maybe introduce the crew to the ship that they'll be operating. Oh, yes. Where's the crew? Uh, we're right here, ma'am. <laughs> um, who just said that, Aaron? Uh, this was the, um, the head of the Havarg pilgrims there, Malin. Okay. Let me look at something real quick. Um, so I think Fausta looks up first um, and then waits because there's nobody up there. <laughs> up, so did he actually wave? Yeah, he waved. Okay. So he waved, so maybe she doesn't look up. I think she looks surprised. Um, I don't think she can really hide that surprise from her face as, you know, she was expecting somebody like at least a foot taller than her. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm curious, how tall is Fausta? Um, you know, I don't know because I didn't write it down. I, what are, what's the average height of an Aurai? Um, their, their height range is the same as a human. The same as a human. So I could see Fausta being, God, what, what's Jessica's dream height? I would love to be like five seven or five eight. So I mean I guess Fausta still has to look up, but she doesn't have to like really crank her neck, and she was expecting a neck crank here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she feels like she is pretty much as tall as this guy. And she I don't know if she's disappointed. She's just very surprised. She reaches out to... Oh! Yes, well, gosh, I'm so glad that you all had... were able to come be part of this adventure. Um, my name's Fausta. You are? I'm Malin. This is my second Ferela. And I think it's a very obvious, like, blink at Malin and then look at Varela and, like, crank... The neck, <laughs> looking up and then look back at Malin. Well, it's very nice to meet you. And Malin, you're a Havarg? Yes, we're all Havarg. Oh. Well. That's good. Uh, <laughs> it's it's great to meet you. And you're the cap... Are you the captain? Uh, I'm the leader of this group, yes. Uh, well, I would say you're probably the, the captain of the ship, being the leader of the expedition. Oh, I'm a captain. Um, 
I I don't know what are the rules for for like <laughs> rank for like naval ranking and stuff in this world can or is has this is stuff I don't know about operating ships of any sort in the real world. Like if you so have with a, um with a ship like in say um like the eighteen hundreds or something. Um like if you're talking a private vessel, a lot of times you might have somebody who's the owner of the ship, but if they don't have a lot of experience with um sailing or something, they would hire somebody to be the captain of the ship. And so the owner would decide like the large big picture things, where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do when we get there? That sort of thing, and the part of like the day-to-day operations of how are we gonna get there. And who's going to do what aboard and everything, the captain that they hire um, would do that. Sometimes that would be the same person, and sometimes it wouldn't. So Malin is probably just assuming that uh, the leader of the expedition is also the captain aboard ship. Um, That may or may not be an accurate assumption on his part, but that's what he's thinking here. (laughs) Well... Fausta is very used to just accepting titles, so she's just going to accept the title. <laughs> and and Wilhelm is just gonna like shrug and say, "Good enough for me. I think we've got <laughs> we have people that can, you know, we will make decisions appropriately." He goes, "Well, we'll see how this turns out." Not like he's going to usurp or anything, but just understanding the nuances. Wilhelm understands them. Jerry doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) um, Jeremy, does does Chip have any reaction to the arrival of the Havard crew? Well, you know, being that, that Chip's really used to seeing the working class around, he doesn't he doesn't really get too excited. He eyes them up and down a little bit to make sure that they're what they say they are, but he realizes, yeah, you know, these guys look pretty seasoned. They look like they've been spent a lot of time in the skies. So he's he's pretty uh, relieved about this. So um Malin continuing to speak to Fausta here, he says, Bob. With your permission, we'd like to start uh, getting our things on board. Where would you like us to put the drum? And he points to, they have like this big drum, like a animal hide drum with them. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Bring it aboard. <laughs> All right. Uh, somebody help J-Lock figure out the... Uh, the right place to put this. And so you see uh, a number of the Havarg are, they're helping another Havarg. He's about six foot five um, aboard. And he's got, mounted on his belt, he's got like a pair of big drumsticks with the big bulbs on the end for beating the drum. But it becomes pretty clear uh, within a moment or two that he cannot see. Like, he's having to be guided up the gangplank by these other Havarg. And he's still the one holding the drum? Uh, He's not holding the drum, but he's got the sticks for playing the drum. Okay. 
I think I think Wilhelm just goes he doesn't he notices and he's just like, well, you know, I I know how the Hearth fleet take care of their own. This is completely normal. And I think Fausta also notices and I think she looks to Wilhelm and she goes, "Don't don't sailors need to see in order to fly?" And he just goes, "We'll talk about it later." There, there are many jobs on a ship. <clears throat> Not all of them necessarily require eyesight. Yeah, Chip, Chip uh, nods at Wilhelm, and he expresses that you know a lot of these, a lot of these major, a lot of these teams, these groups work well with each other, and usually a well-seasoned crew. Every crewman has their part. And knows their part to play. So his part's a drum. Lady Fausta, that is absolutely correct. But he could be the heart of this crew. And he could be he could be the force that helps gets us through this storm. Well, I don't think our ship's drum powered. <laughs> uh, a big <laughs> a big um exasperated sigh. Um, not not frustrated, I guess, um, but just a big sigh. Just uh, well, um. no, no, no. I'm not saying that there's that there's anything wrong. Of course, he's allowed to come on board. I just, I don't, I don't understand what his job is. Lady Fausta, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that you'll over the the course of this expedition, you'll become more accustomed with the kinds of jobs, both day-to-day and maybe not necessarily mission-critical, you know, actually happen on a ship. And that, I'm sure we'll all find out what uh, what J-Lock's position in the team is. Of course, I'm actually looking forward to getting to talk to J-Lock. This is... She's going to lean over to Wilhelm and she's going to be like... This is the first time that I've met Havarg sailors. You don't say. <laughs> and he's going to try to make that sound as as unsarcastic as possible. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have to roll to do that. <laughs> I don't I don't have a deception skill, so <clears throat> So I think it's about this time that from below decks, uh, Vagnera appears. And Vagnera is, um, he's got his shirt sleeves rolled up and he's got like a, um, a pencil and some papers in his hand. And he's got, you know, the Aurai equivalent of bags under his eyes. He comes up, he says, ah, good morning, Miss Fausta, Master Wilhelm, Master Chip. I do believe I saw Master Tulin below deck, so I think we're all here. I have taken the liberty of onboarding supplies, and I did get Miss Fausta's things into one of the rooms. I hope the rest of you don't mind that I took the liberty of selecting one for her. Master Chip, would you mind looking over my supply list and seeing if there's anything missing? And so, uh, Vagnera walks up and hands Chip like this detailed ledger of all the things that he's acquired and brought on board. Chip turns to him, smiles, slaps him on the shoulder, and says, 
I do like Master Chip. Has a nice ring to it. Not sure if I fulfill that role, but I'm really excited to be here. Where can I help? So Vagnara takes you below decks to um, to the ship's storerooms there, and he shows you where he's got all of the supplies stacked. So he's got uh, different food for the galley, and he's got um, he's taken on like some extra materials for bolts for the ballistae. And uh, he's got, looks like from Chip's experience that he's pretty much taken on board everything that you guys need. There might be like one or two little things that he didn't know about or forgot, but. Yeah, so Chip, Chip gets pretty excited and he says, you know, I think we might need to balance the load out just a little bit. Let's push um, some of these uh, barrels further to the starboard side so that we're not going through the air at an angle. So he starts moving some of the supplies further to the starboard side and kind of starts strapping them down with uh, some of the, the twine rope that he has. So a couple of the uh, Havard crewmen are eager to get started, so they jump in and start helping Chip move the stuff. Uh, did anybody come down with Chip, or did the rest, or did uh, Wilhelm and Fausta stay on deck? Um, Fausta's following them. Yeah, Wilhelm was going to follow the entire time, but also specifically go to Fausta and say, "Boy, I I sure hope you don't take your uh, your friend there for granted, because not most people's uh, personal assistants are." that gung-ho and on top of things. I am truly impressed. Indeed. You never should have doubted him. And he's not my personal assistant. Okay. He's much more. Chip asks, you know, Lady, Lady Faust, if he could look over some of the navigational maps and maybe help out with some of the, some of the directions that they're, they're planning on traveling. Of course, I don't see why not. That's... Um, and I think she's going to look at Vagnera and pointed look at Wilhelm and say, Vagnera, I'm sure you set the maps out somewhere where I could find them. Why don't you go take a rest? That would be much appreciated, Miss Fausta. And he uh, bows and takes his leave. So as you guys are headed to take a look at the navigational maps, you hear... Uh, some Havarg voices from a side room. And specifically, you hear the voice of Malin. And he's talking in kind of a hushed tone. He says, Varela, what were you thinking? I can't believe you brought that on board our new employer's ship. You have to take that back home. And Varela says, no, we can't do that. They'll be wanting to get underway any minute now. I'm I'm gonna uh, glance and go, uh, Lady Fausta. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> so the voices just like freeze. There's just this awkward silence, <laughs> and then Malin says, "Yes, what can we do for you?" And Fausta is going to open the door. <laughs> I hope we're not interrupting anything. And uh, 
Malin like moves like he's trying to block the view of something, but then, you know, the door is open too fast, so he kind of gives it up there. And you see in <laughs> Varela's arms is a creature. Uh, it's about the size of, oh, like maybe it's only like 20, uh, 25, 30 pounds, something like that. It's a snow white stag hair. And a stag hair is, um, it's sort of like a Flemish giant rabbit. So it's a very big rabbit and it has antlers like a stag. And this one is just like pure snow white. Um, and despite its size, um, <laughs> Varela being seven feet tall can, you know, cradle her uh, in her arms <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty easily. And so she kind of looks down sheepishly and she says, Oh, I'm sorry for trying to, to sneak her on board. I, I was just afraid that no one would take care of her back home while I was gone. What's her name? Oh, this is Pelly. She came to us about two years ago. We, uh, we gave passage to an elderly Brindy man. Uh, he was, she was his companion, but he passed away on the voyage, and he had no family left behind to take her. Can I can I give her a little pet? Of course, she's very friendly. All right. Wilhelm's totally gonna get a pet this bunny, and uh, he's gonna just look up at uh, at Varela and say, "Do you have? Were you able to bring enough um, food on board?" Oh yes, I, I brought everything that she needs. You won't have to spend anything on her. Are are you sure you have enough for... I'm not entirely sure how long our voyage is going to take. Well, I, I have enough to feed her for at least a week. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look back and... Uh, what, what, do, uh, what do stag hares eat in, in the world? Is it... Um, so they're vegetarian, so they eat, yeah. like, leafy greens and... Okay. I don't know. I'm I'm going to look back to Lady Fausta and just, you know, go. Is this is this okay? Man, separating Fausta from Jessica right now is really hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think Fausta god. Of course Fausta's going to let the stag hair <laughs> come along like um, you know, I think, I think it's one of those things, well, please don't ever be afraid to talk or converse, um, you know, just because I am your superior doesn't mean that we can't be equals. Oh, well, thank you. I, oh, that really takes a load off of my mind. She's. She's not exactly small. I wasn't sure how I was going to keep her out of sight for so long. <laughs> well, I just wish that you would have told us up front. But as long as you understand that it, there might be some danger and you can protect her. Oh, oh, I will. Don't worry about that. Very well. Well, um, again, sorry for intruding. It sounded like a private conversation. So, 
I'm gonna go. All right. Um, real, oh. real quick though, after Fausta leaves, I'm I'm gonna linger behind and just look at uh, Malin and and just go. Let me know if any more surprises come up. Um, I would go actively seek them out. I'm taking responsibility for all of you, and so I would like to know before any surprises arise. Are we clear? We are. All right. He nods and just uh, follows Faust out the door. All right. So um, we are going to actually jump down to Tulin in the engine room. And Tulin, you have found the engine room, and, you know, it's, it's nothing to write home about, but it's perfectly serviceable. Um, it's in pretty decent shape. It's, it's got a, um, it's got kind of a, an old fashioned power source to it. So it's a, it's a coal fired engine room, but the, um, the design is one that it's, it's been out of circulation for a while. Of course, Captain Solari is a twilight elf. They can live hundreds of years. So he may have gotten the ship back when this was brand spanking new tech, but, um, Oh, this is disappointing, but I suppose we can make do until we can get it fitted with the latest and greatest. Takes a look at the furnaces, make sure there's no corrosion, uh, you know, make sure that it's well-maintained if old. I see that it's, Despite being a uh, pirate's vessel, it's been pretty well maintained up to this point. And um, right about then, a couple of the Havard crew come in and they say, they're kind of taken aback to see you there. They say, oh, are you our chief mechanic? Uh, you can say that. Ah, well, well, sir, should we, uh, should we begin... Getting the furnaces fired up. I think before we do that, we should check all of the systems and make sure that there are no issues before we uh, go firing up the furnaces and uh, reach the point of no return. Oh, good plan. So they uh, roll up their sleeves and they start diving in to look into stuff. And we are going to jump back up to the main part of the ship. Where you guys, um, Chip and Fausta and Wilhelm, uh, you arrive on the quarter deck of the ship where Vagnera has some of the navigation charts and so forth laid out. And as you've been taking a look at them, uh, Jaylock, who he's still kind of like putting his hand out and f learning his way around the ship, um, but he makes his way up towards the quarter deck. And he, uh, he looks up to you and you can see his eyes are a little bit cloudy from the blindness. He says, pardon me, uh, do you have a moment? Um, yeah, absolutely. How can we help? He uh, finds the steps and comes up to the quarter deck there and he says, I, I know you want to be well prepared for this voyage, but... I think it might be best to get underway sooner rather than later. You see, he sort of 
turns out toward the fog as though he can see something, or towards the cloud sea and the fog swirling below as though he can see something out there. He kind of rubs a hand along the back of his neck. He says, I'm of the fogborn. Have a bit of fog in the blood, as it were, from uh, when I was born. Sometimes we can sense the fog swells. I think we have one coming. I realize that our first destination is not too far from here. I think it would be best for us to be there before this hits. Wow, that's... Do you have any sense of how long we've got? I think we should get underway within the next half hour. Oh, oh wow. I was was not expecting an answer with uh, any sort of precision. Uh, absolutely, uh, Fausta? And it's supposed to hit the island. I think it's going to hit much of the coast. Well, I can't say exactly where. Man, this is tough because the first thing Fausta thought of was Julianus. Um, and I don't know if she is willing to leave the island without ensuring that the, you know, that he and her family is going to be safe. So, but I also don't want to hold the story up. Um, so I don't really have a good picture what do we as characters know about the fog and how it operates and how it moves? Are there any sort of like safety precautions that islands take or, you know, do islands just get enveloped with, with fog? How does this work, Aaron? So the fog swells are basically when a portion of the fog swells up to island level where um, skyships usually, and sometimes they last a few minutes, sometimes they can last several days. Most of them happen out on the cloud sea where as long as you can sail around them, they're not um, that big of an issue, but sometimes they do hit the main islands. And so um, if they have warning that a fog swell is coming, most coastal cities and towns will have safeguards in place of places that people can go and like seal the windows and doors to keep the fog out until the fog swell has passed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And most ships, uh, skyships will have at least one room somewhere in the middle of the ship, like in mid deck somewhere, somewhere inside the hole where they can go in and do the same thing where they can seal off the room where the fog may get into the rest of the ship during that time, but it can't, penetrate that room and so they can wait it out until the fog swell is over okay so basically what you're saying is fausta's family should be okay i should be okay yes okay cool then <laughs> well then yes we should get going so i think fausta's gonna look at jaylock and be like I'm so excited to talk to you later. We should be on our way. Um, where is Malin? And I think she's just going to scurry back down because she's just under the assumption that Malin's going to make the ship go to go find <laughs> Malin and make him make the ship go. So you, you run into Malin and he can immediately tell that something is different. He says, what's going on, Miss Fausta? Is something wrong with the ship? 
No. Uh, well, other than it's not moving, we need to leave. Uh, now? Yes. Uh, I'll alert the engine room. So he dashes off to go um, get the engine room going. So um, let me ask right quick, Chip, um, what is your job usually when um, your family ship gets underway? His main job would be to raise the sail and get the foot, which is the bottom part of the sail. He'd get that set up so that he could, they could push steam out that direction help uh, get the steam where it needs to be so that the, the ballasts are set properly against the wind. And then he would help set sail and uh, um, direct in the wind. So he would, he'd definitely notice if the winds changed or if the, if the, basically the cloud sea was to, to shift. All right. So, um, Tulin, you are down in the engine room uh, when Malin comes in and informs everybody that um, the decision has been made to get underway right away and we need to get the engines fired. Um, give me an engineering roll right quick and we're going to see how well this process goes. See, I rolled an eight. Uh, in the GURP system, low numbers are good instead of high numbers. You're trying to low below, add or below the target number, so... Uh, Tulin has definitely succeeded here. Things go very smoothly. Uh, the engines get fired up and steam begins boiling up and filling the Scarlet Keelan's flight bladder, which starts to inflate and gets, gets the ship um, floating the way it needs to, so there's tautness on the lines. And as the Havard crew are running around getting their sails into place and putting lines in, and everything, you guys uh, finally see the purpose of the drum. Now, on a, on an old-style sailing ship, uh, they often had a person on board who was, who was known as the shanty man. Um, this is sort of where the sea shanties come from, right? So it would be his job to beat this drum and sing out these songs, and the sailors would do certain tasks in beat with the song. Um, particularly like during the chorus, like, you know, a lot of old sea shanties you'll hear in the chorus, there's like a phrase they repeat, like haul away or something like that. And so that would be the part where they'd be all trying to do something at the same time. It would help them time things. So once upon a time, uh, they had shanty men on skyships, but it's, it's become a bit of an antiquated, um, Tradition, as it were. Not a lot of modern sky ships use a shanty man still. Uh, Chip, you probably remember stories from your family history of um, a shanty man, but do you think that uh, Chip's family would use a shanty man in this day and age? You know, they, they would mainly use it for communication between the, t the vessels, you know, especially if they get lost in, in cloud cover. You know, they would, they would use it to help echo their location, right? Sure. And um, this is something I think Wilhelm would have witnessed on board the hearth fleets too. So as the ship is getting underway, and I actually, actually prepared a song for this, so hopefully uh, our podcast listeners don't mind their ears bleeding. I don't have the best voice in the world, but here it goes. <laughs> so J-Lock starts pounding out the beat and he starts singing out this song and the uh, other crewmen join in with him. He sings out, 
Oh, a boy on the islands, he knows how to run. But a boy on a ship, he knows how to have fun. Out on the clouds, see the wind at our tail. Haul away steam and haul away sail. And a girl on the islands, she knows how to fight. But a girl on a ship, she knows how to make light. Out on the clouds, see the wind at our tail. Haul away steam and haul away sail. And a love on the islands, it's bound to grow stale. But a love on a ship, it makes other loves pale. Out on the clouds, see the wind at our tail. Haul away steam and haul away sail. Haul away steam and haul away sail. And with the last bit of the chorus, the ship pulls away and the Scarlet Keelan is officially underway. Certified bop. That was amazing, Aaron. You need to write songs for everything now. That was, did that remind anybody else of like Token a little bit? Oh, I, I can see that. That's let's not give them too big a head. Like, oh yeah, you're writing those Hobbit songs out here now. Now he's gonna just ditch the pod. He's gonna ditch the podcast. I'm gonna go write a Bible for this uh, this world instead of uh, the game and invent eight thousand different languages for it. Whatever he's writing an interactive Bible right now. <laughs> So, the meetup with the Dragon's Hand, uh, it is happening in the city of, hold on, I wrote it down, what is the name of the city? The name of the city is Verney, and it's a, it's a relatively small city compared to South Talonis, where you guys are, uh, have just left from. Uh, it's located sort of on the western coast of Talonis Island, and um, it's kind of a quaint city, if you will, but it's, it's ideally suited for something like this because there aren't a whole lot of political eyes on it. Um, so the journey there is probably only going to take a couple hours. You guys are just moving around along the coast of the island. Um, is there anything that you guys want to do during that time? Or do we want to just go ahead and skip to, uh, skip ahead to you guys are arriving at your destination? Um, I imagine that we're probably going to have time to the flight for Fathomless Heaven, so I would kind of like to just get there. I could see everybody just kind of settling in, um, hanging out in their rooms, getting unpacked, just getting, getting their feet back under them. Oh, speaking of which, that reminds me of something. So, um, Wilhelm, are you unpacking your room and getting things put together? In your quarters? Um, so I imagine that when the ship, when uh, the ship was getting ready to take off, um, he was like, I need to go to my room and start doing this now. So I'm not thinking about the fact that I am not tethered to the land anymore. So I actually think that he's just below deck and just staring at the stairs and just trying to get himself to go up to deck to see if, you know, 
to be to see if he can uh, handle that yet. Let's see. So, how do you think it's going for him so far? Is it? Um, I think this um this would take advantage of the the pacifist. Uh, no, not the pacifist. The anxiety disadvantage that we came up with. So, um, I would say he is medicated, so I don't think he's going to be taking any penalties to rolls for anything, but, um, this would be a situation that would, uh, trigger his anxiety, so I think I have to roll health, and failure on a health roll incurs a negative penalty to actions going forward. Yes. So... All right, so go ahead and give us a health roll here. Okay. Oh, boy. That is a 12, and my health is a 10. So I did not succeed at that roll. Okay, so um, how is Wilhelm going to react here? So having a bit of anxiety from being on board ship for the first time in quite a while? Yeah, I think um I think he's not going to go up to the deck. I think he's actually going to go sit down. I think he gets lightheaded. Sits down somewhere like maybe even just on the floor. Like right there by the stairs. He just sits down and looks pale for a minute. <laughs> so, um do you have anything with you, like, do you have any of your stuff with you, or is it just him sitting there? Um, I think he's got some of his medication on him. All right. He's taken it for the day already. So I don't know that he's... I think he he's seen other people um, use this stuff before, you know, inappropriately. You know, in the years that he's been just working docks and everything he's seen people like he's actually had people try to buy his his uh medication off of him and so he knows that there's a bit of a danger there so so as you're sitting there wilhelm um malin passes by the stairwell on his way to go check on something that the crewmen are doing and he he notices you sitting there and kind of stops and looks he says uh it may not be my place to ask but is everything all right um he he just looks up and just goes yeah yeah i i i think so it's it's been a while since i've been on a ship and that's because the last time wasn't great I just need to take a breather. I I don't think I'm ready to go topside right now. But thank you. Thank you for checking. Of course. You'll let me know if you need anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, can can you make sure to let me know when we dock in a... In the next town over, when we meet the dragon's hand, I like I should know, but I might, I might be lost in my own thoughts. Just, just come check on me if you would, please. Of course. 
Thank you, Malin. All right. So you guys pull in to the docks at Verney, and um, the docks here are very different from the docks in South Talonis. They are open air, so they have these piers just sticking out from the rock face of the island. And uh, various points along the pier, they have these big, uh, like, stone towers there with these, like, assault-style ballistae mounted on these towers. It's an interestingly high level of defense for a town of this size. Let's see. Uh, Wilhelm, go ahead and give me an... IQ roll right quick. Hey, you just got a penalty on, on your all your rolls. How about you roll again? <laughs> um, oof. That's 11, 12, 13, 14. 15 does not beat 9. So... <laughs> so, do you recall that there's some reason why these... Uh, why these towers are there, but you can't remember exactly what it is at the moment. So, as the ship is being tied off and so forth, j um finds his way to his feet and speaking to nobody in particular, he just kind of talks to the ship as a whole. He says, The fog swell is coming on faster than I thought. We need to make sure that we're indoors. Um... Okay, well, uh, we we need to meet the dragon's hand. How long do we have? So he uh, closes his eyes and thinks for a moment. He says, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Wow. <laughs> well, that's terrifying. Um, I imagine we probably... Is it going to take 10 or 15 minutes to get to the indoor area of the dragon's hand? No. So the uh, meeting place for uh, where you are supposed to meet the dragon's hand is a, a little watering hole on the dockside. It is called the Dragon's Den Inn and Tavern. I see they're staying on theme. We're right. good about that at the dragon's hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, then Fausta's just going to, like, look at everyone and shrug and be like, well, can we get to, can we get to and meet with our employers within 10 minutes? It's, it's safe to assume that, um, that, like, Inns and taverns and stuff are like probably prepared to handle swells, right? Yeah, especially to... in a coastal city like this. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I think I'm gonna suggest to Fausta. I think you and I can go meet the Dragon's Hand. We tell everybody else to hole up here on the ship, but I think that way we're not, you know risking everybody getting spread out. Yes, I think that's a good idea. Very well. Let's go. All right. So just the two of you are going to go or um, um, Chip and Tulin staying okay. aboard? Yeah, I you suppose we should ask the other people playing the game. <laughs> um, 
yes, Tulin's going to stay aboard the ship. All right. So Fausta and Wilhelm, you guys arrive at the Dragon's Den pretty much like just in time. There's like two or three minutes before the fog swell hits. And there are obviously uh, people there who know that it's coming. So there's somebody standing at the door, like gesturing at the two of you to hurry. And you hurry inside and they close the door and like, there's like a little lock thing on the inside that they turn. And uh, somebody runs around with some little, uh, there's a substance that uh, they grow from like a moss that they can use to like seal windows and things. So they're going around and placing this on the windows. And the Dragon's Den happens to have a nice big picture window at the front that looks out on the docks. And as you guys watch, this big gray wall of fog just slowly moves in and envelops the docks. And there are a number of ships that are coming into the docks at this time. And you can see that they're putting on speed and they're trying to outrun this fog swell, but there's just no hope of them doing that. They get overtaken by this fog swell. And it moves in and it just sort of obscures everything from the picture window. And so for a long, very scary, like five minutes or so, there's just nothing but the gray swirls of the fog outside of this building. It's like the dragon's den is suddenly its own little world alone in the universe. And then, thankfully, this was a short fog swell. Uh, the fog begins to clear, and you can see vague shapes of the skyships emerging as it recedes back down. And eventually it becomes a nice clear day again. And out in the docks through the picture window, you see that a number of these ships that were on their way into uh, the piers of Verney have stopped you know, because the crews have gone below into their sealed rooms. And there are a number of crows that release from the uh, one of the defense towers on the ship. And these crows are being ridden by brindies. Um, it's not uncommon for them to ride crows and other birds like that. And so one of them goes out to each of these ships and the little uh, crow riders hop off and they each run below decks to go check on the crews of these sky ships. And most of them emerge a few minutes later and they've got you know, these scared crew that are okay. But one of them, um, it takes a while for him to reappear. And the rest of the ships are underway and that one's still sitting there. And it's sort of a nerve wracking thing as you watch. And all of a sudden this Brindy leaps up onto deck and he's running for dear life. And this human comes running up after him. And this human is running He's got like his hands curved into claws and it's like he's uh, got this animalistic urge behind him and his eyes are like a bright purple as he comes tearing up and the Brindy is just hauling butt towards his mount and just before he makes it to where the crow is, the human reaches out and snatches him up by his legs and it startles the crow and the crow goes flapping off and the uh, human takes the Brindy and whips him up in the air and then just cracks his head against the railing of the uh, skyship and just 
beats this poor little Brindy on the uh, railing over and over again. And as he's doing this, you can hear the sounds of these just like tormented screams from below deck. And somewhere from one of the towers you hear, we've got the affliction, fire! And several of the ballista move into position and these giant bolts come firing out when they pierce the hull of this ship. And the gases inside the flight bladder catch and there's a brief explosion. And the ship just starts to break apart and fall down into the fog. And you can see this uh, human who is still whipping the poor Brindy around, tosses it and runs towards the rail and it jumps like it's trying to reach the shore, but it can't make it and it falls down, reaching up towards the sky as it goes plummeting down toward the land far below. 